We've been in John chapter 4 now for several weeks, but I'd like to once again go through this particular account and focus on a few other verses. We see that in John chapter 4, there's the Lord going specifically through Samaria, going through Samaria, an area which they typically would not go through. And the reason why was because he had an appointment um, with this woman at the well. A woman in, in whom he reached out to and revealed himself as the Christ, as the Messiah. A woman that, that more than likely would have been um, there at the well by herself because she didn't have a whole lot of friends. Um, someone who Jesus revealed that when he said, go go find your husband, bring your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, and that you are right that you have five, you've had five husbands and the one that you're living with now is, is not your husband. Her response is that she says is that she perceived that he was a prophet. She knew that he should not have known that. And we look and we, and we see the Lord just present himself to her. One in whom would cause her to, to, to never thirst again. And, and, and not only that, but that, that there would be a fountain of water that would spring up into everlasting life in her. In verse 25, it says, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came. They marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? They came at the tail end of the conversation and heard what the Lord was, was saying and specifically that he was ministering to this woman. The woman, after hearing all of these things, it tells us in verse 28, the woman left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out of the city and came to him. She, she just leaves her water pot. She hears the gospel. She hears Christ say, I am he, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah, the one in whom you're waiting for. And she just leaves her water pot. She came to draw water. She leaves her water pot and just goes immediately into the city. And she goes to the city and finds these men. It immediately says, come. See a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? The first thing that she thinks is, I just, I want to tell other people about him. I just, I just want to tell other people about him. She comes and, and, and she comes just bringing her testimony. You guys got to come. Come see him. He told me everything that I've ever done. And, and, and yet what he told her was, you've had five husbands and the one that you're living with now is not your husband. But they come. You see, in verse 39, if you'll go down there with me for a moment. 
It says, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you have said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this indeed, this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. It started with her. It started with her coming and saying, come and see. I look and, and here's the disciples. They're there. They're hearing that all that, that, that has been taking place. And they come to Jesus. We have food to eat. Or they, we have food. Rabbi, eat. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you don't know. They're looking at each other as we looked at a few weeks ago. Has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And as we looked at his, his heart was just in a place of, I don't, I don't need food right now. My food is, is to do the will of him who sent me. I, I just presented myself as Christ, as Messiah to this woman who had been married five times and is now living with someone who's not her husband. And she's been radically transformed. I don't, I don't need food. I have food that you guys don't know of. My joy, my sustenance, it, it is, it's, it's in doing what my father has called me to do. And from there, he says, do you not say there's still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit to, for eternal life. For both he who sows and, and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you've entered into their labors. Jesus speaks to them. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And then he says, don't you say there's still four months and then comes the harvest? Look, they're there and he's speaking with them. Look at, look at the wheat that's here. Look at the the vegetation that's here. You, you, you look and your mentality is four, four more months and then comes the harvest. Four months and, and then we'll have the harvest. We've sowed seeds. Four months will come and, and now the harvest will come. Jesus says, behold, I, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. Just look. Look at the fields. Just look. Take your heads. Look up. It's already white for harvest. It's already ripe. Looking at, at, at the circumstance here and saying, don't try to calculate evangelism. Don't try to calculate missions. Don't be in a place where you look and you say, no, no, no. I, I, it, it'll take this much time or it'll take that much time. Jesus is saying, the fields are already white for harvest. I assure you that the disciples went into the city 
to get food, to buy meat. And they go in, and as they go in, they're probably thinking, we're in Samaria. We don't want to be in Samaria. We wish we would have gone another route, but Christ, our Lord, asked us to go through Samaria. And they're going, and they're, they're there, and they're looking at everything that's taking place and seeing the people. But probably in their heart, they're thinking, these aren't our people. They're, they're far from hearing anything that we would have to say. I'd, I'd venture to say that they, they didn't mention anything about Christ as far as come and see, just come. You, you're selling us meat. Hey, we, 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 we want to bring you to Christ who's just there, just outside the city. He's there by a well. He's waiting for us. Come, just meet him. All you guys, come. They don't do anything like that. The reason being is because there was prejudice that was there. Not only prejudice, but also in their minds, they're looking saying, these people aren't ready to hear the gospel. They're not ready for this. Yet, she leaves with her testimony saying, I found somebody. He told me everything that I ever did. And multitudes start coming to Christ. Just come and see. And they start coming. I believe it's possible for us at this time to be in a place where we try to calculate missions and we try to calculate evangelism. We look at people that are around us and think, like, they'll never want to hear what I have to say. Their, their hearts are far from ever wanting to hear the gospel. I've tried to talk to them a little bit, and they just shut me down. I, they're far. They're too far. Or that's too dangerous to go into a place like that, to live in an area like that. It's interesting, in the last month or so, we saw that all that took place with the Ebola virus that just has hit Africa. I read about a missionary there, Dr. Brantley, who serves there with Samaritan's Purse. And he was one who was there and he, he contracted the Ebola virus. They brought him back to the United States with another lady to be treated. But the response was interesting as far as the response throughout our nation. People look in and say, why would you bring him back here? Here's Dr. Brantley, and, and, and as, as he speaks about it, he, he says things like, I didn't, I didn't go to Liberia to, to fight the Ebola virus. I went there because God called me to go there for the gospel. Like I went there because God called me to be a doctor there, to serve there. He just says the, the Ebola virus hit us. It's been like over 1,600 people who have died from this particular virus. And he goes through and just, he talks about it. I, I, I was called to be there and they came and I held their hands. I ministered to them. 
before they died. I remember every one of their faces and I remember every one of their names. I remember them. God called me to be there. I remember being in Tonj and arriving there and there's a, a leper colony that's nearby and I had studied enough about leprosy just from Scripture to know what it looked like. And they were missing fingers and toes and um, their eyes were sunken in and much different looking. Um, and they said these, there's a leper calling this nearby. And I, I remember being there at the airstrip and everybody's lined up and I going through and just shaking hands and shaking hands and shaking hands and going through. And then I went to shake someone's hand and they had leprosy. Like I looked at them and they had leprosy. And everything in my mind was like, you touch someone with leprosy, you get leprosy, at least in my mind. And, and he had his hand out and I shook his hand and I kept going. And I remember thinking, I think I just got leprosy. <laughs> I think I got it. I just shook his hand. But I couldn't get myself to think like, okay, I'm going to shake all these people's hands. Whoa, not you. Let's keep going. Because God had called us to be there. And I, I talked to Dr. Jim like, I think I got leprosy. You got He's like, no, your, your immune system has to be way down for you to get leprosy. You don't have leprosy. Don't worry. And, and I was picturing like coming home. Everybody's like, leper, you know, throwing rocks at me and <laughs> sending me off to a colony. But just being called to be someplace, even though it's not safe or comfortable. Listening to Ann Coulter talk about this, who is a professing Christian. But she referred to Dr. Brantley as as an idiot for going there. Um, She said, can't anyone serve Christ in America Dr. Brantley had practiced at Cedars-Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles and turned one single Hollywood power broker to Christ. He would have done more good for the entire world than anything he could have accomplished in a century spent in Liberia. Ebola kills only the body, the virus of spiritual bankruptcy and moral decadence spread by so many in Hollywood movies infects the world. America is the most consequential nation on earth and is in desperate need of God at the moment. If America falls, it will be a thousand years of darkness for the entire planet. That's her thinking. Professing to be a Christian, why would this guy go to Liberia? He's an idiot. He could have done so much better in just a short time here at Cedar sinai if one Hollywood powerful guy were to get saved than a whole century in Liberia. And yet you look and you just think, that's not how God works. We're not to look at it and calculate it and to look and say, does it make sense for us to to go to this particular place? We have been called to go and to preach the gospel to all nations. We've been called to go and to make disciples, to proclaim the gospel. And I think there's so many times for us, brothers and sisters, where we're sitting there going like... I can't present the gospel here. Nobody's ready to hear it here. I, I, I don't think that anybody would get saved in this particular place if I were to proclaim the gospel. And God's just looking and saying, you're saying four months. And then look up. 
The fields are already white for harvest. Just go. In this particular region in Liberia, they're proclaiming the gospel as they're saying that, that the Ebola virus could spread so quickly to even where there's 20,000 people infected in a very short period of time. And he's just looking at it and saying, like, where is there a better place to share the love of Christ and to touch them and to pray with them and to minister the gospel with them? These people are in a place where, where they are ready to hear the gospel. Go there. And that same year of 1998, after leaving Tones, I, I flew out of Tones. And then on that day, on August 7th, um, between 10.30 and 10.40 a.m., two bombs went off at the U.S. embassies in Nairobi and, and in Tanzania. Um, and so we landed, and, 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 and as we landed, that's what we found was the embassies had been bombed. I'll tell you, I, I, in that time, there was a pastor's wife who was in a bus passing by, and the shrapnel killed her. They were looking for her for days and couldn't find her. Pastor Gitu, a dear friend, he had four kids. And, um, and a friend of mine, Jim, and myself spent the next several weeks with them just ministering to them, going to the funeral, spending time with them, going on safari with them. And I, I was so angry with whoever it was that took these little kids' mommy. Just watching them and hearing their tears, seeing their tears and hearing their cries. I remember watching on the news on, on August 20th that the U.S. had bombed um, Khartoum. They had sent cruise missiles into Khartoum in northern Sudan and Af- into Afghanistan. And I, remember, I just remember being there watching it going right on. Like, let's get these guys. Let's get them. And, and you're watching all of this happen, and I, I'm so excited about it. And my friend Yasir was there next to me just saying, like, my, my family's there. Like, in his mind, it wasn't right on. It's my family's in Khartoum. They're all there right now. I left that place, and I went to Gitu's house, and the kids came running out to see me when I pulled up. And, and we pulled up and just... Rolled down my window, you guys, they didn't have TV or anything like that. The United States just bombed the people who killed your mommy. And I remember just seeing little Ruth, her eyes welled up with tears, and she said, you bombed them? You should have forgiven them. And just my heart just melted. Like in my heart, it was just like, get them, let's get them. And I have no problem with, I mean, I think that the United States needs to, and the rest of the world needs to, fight for people who don't have the ability to fight for themselves, and I think it's important. But in this particular case, I, just, I knew where my heart was. It wasn't, let's evangelize these people. Let's evangelize them. It, it was, let's get them. And it was not much time later that we, within the next couple of years, we took a, a soccer team, professional soccer team, to Khartoum, um, invited by the president of, of Sudan, and there with the, in the national stadium, Andy Guastafaro played on that team, proclaimed the gospel to on, 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 to Sudan and to the neighboring countries and countries all over on, on live television, proclaimed the gospel at halftime. 
and watching this take place and just seeing, see, in, in our minds, it was, that's an area, let's, let's just get them. Not realizing that God would be looking, saying, look up, it's white unto harvest. It's just ready. It's ready to be harvested. I pray that, that we, as, as God's people, would look and, and, and not be like the disciples who, who went into that particular city, left, came to bring food to Jesus, but never at any point thought, let's invite others. Let's minister to them. Let's reach out to them. Let's tell them about Christ. Look, and here this woman comes. Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they come. And many Samaritans that city believed in him because of the, woman, the, because of the word that the woman testified. He told me all that I ever did. They believed. Now look at that for us. And, and we're able to take people back to this particular account and say, look, he told this woman everything that she had ever done. But those people who were there who were white under harvest... They could have looked and said, like, oh, whatever. Maybe he talked to somebody on the road. Maybe something else happened. No, they, they heard her testimony, and they came. I assure you that there, there are so many of you in whom God has saved, and you have this testimony of what God has done in your life, and it's just about going to other people and saying, can I just tell you what God's done in my life? Can I tell you how he saved me? Can I tell you what it is that he's done? just radically transformed my life. There was one person who was there to, and I don't remember all the details, but he was there to debate, challenge to debate an atheist. And, and he, he told the atheist, that's fine, I'm happy to debate you wherever you want. I'll debate you wherever you want. I just ask for one thing. Just when you come to, to debate me, can you just bring, I think he said, like five people that have been radically transformed. They, 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 were, they were on drugs or they were alcoholics or they were prostitutes or they were whatever it is that just had total bondage on their life. From what you have said to them and the way that you have challenged them and what you have taught them, you've just radically changed five people. Can you just bring five people to the debate that have been radically changed as a result of you? And I'll bring 500. He said, but if you don't come with five, don't come. And he didn't come. You look and you think of the testimonies of what God has done in our lives. Brothers and sisters, he's radically changed us. He takes people who are without hope and he gives you hope. He takes people who are carrying a huge burden and he removes it off of you. He takes us and he causes our eyes to be open to where all of a sudden we look and there's joy that we never had before. He frees us from sin. He does this for us and he just radically transforms our lives to where you know some of your family members have looked on and said, like, what on earth has happened to you? And to be able to go and say, it's Christ. Come and see. Just come and see. And you go from there to look at, at, at what she says. Just come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. And then you look at our testament. You have the full counsel of God's word. You're, you're able to take them not only, let me tell you about the one who told this woman everything that she ever did, but let me tell you of one who thousands of years before gave incredible details, all laid out through the Old Testament. Incredible details of his coming. 
Incredible details, prophecies that were given, specific prophecies, even details of where Christ would be born or how he would die. Talking about crucifixion before crucifixion was ever invented. Talking about how he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. That he would be there and, 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 and just as Christ is there next to these two thieves, that that would take place. Not only that, but they'd cast lots for his clothing. Details that are given of all kinds of things, hundreds of them that are given. Not only that, but we have the proof of the resurrection where you look and he rose again from the dead. He appeared before his disciples. He appeared before over 500 people at one time. He appeared before these people to where they knew that he rose again from the dead. There was no doubt in their mind that they rose again from the dead and that he rose again from the dead. And and if there was any doubt in their mind of whether or not he rose again from the dead and they thought, well, it's a lie. Let's just push this. Let's start our own religion. Let's do this. Why would they die horrific deaths and go to India and go to China and go down throughout Africa and to go up into Europe and to go into Russia. These disciples went all over the place, died in incredible places, far, far from their homeland, to proclaim the gospel. The reason why they did that is because he said, go and preach the gospel. Even to the uttermost parts of the world, go. And so the disciples just went and they went through just horrific things and proclaimed Christ. And we saw that, that truly the harvest was right. They just go and they proclaim it. And we have that testimony to be able to look and say, look at the resurrection. He rose again from the dead. Look at the evidences of all that God has said in the Bible and to be able to take it through them, to take people through it. Not only that, but we're able to go through and just look at the life of Christ. She's there. She just met him at the well. And she comes and says, I've got to tell you, but you guys got to come and see he told me everything that I ever did. We go through, we, we can go through all of the accounts of the, the, the Lord's life. We have them in the Gospels going through. And let me tell you about him. This is what he's done. And this is what he's done. And this is what he's done. And this is how he reached out to people. And he touched the person with leprosy. And here's all the things that he has done. He made people who are blind able to see. He made people who are lame able to walk. This is what he has done. To give your testimony but as well as to say, behold your God, this is who he is, and this is what he's done. We find here that as we look at this, um, the Lord says, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Some of you will be those who are there to plant seeds. God is accomplishing his purposes. He's working. He's doing incredible things. You look in scripture and you, you find him saying things like, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not for nothing. It's not in vain. Go plant seeds. And some of us will go and we'll just plant seeds and we'll never see the fruit of the seeds that have been planted. But others will come in and they'll reap the harvest and they'll see. They didn't, they didn't plant those seeds. They didn't, they didn't spend Days and hours praying for that particular person or ministering to that person. Hear this woman? Someone told her about Messiah who was to come. Someone told her about the prophets. Someone planted seeds and Christ came in, told her these things. 
and reaped her into everlasting life. But to be in a place of let's, let's sow seeds, let's plant seeds. We don't know if the harvest will come in our lifetime, but let's just plant seeds. Let's tell them about Christ. Let's tell them about who he is. Let's go to the uttermost parts of the world and let's do it here in this area. We look in this area and, 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 and our, our tendency may be to say, like, no one likes evangelism here. I mean, the, the idea is don't press your views upon anybody, to each their own. I mean, even within our, our military, it's frowned upon to, to try to evangelize much at all. There was a lot that took place last year bringing clarity to that. Um, you have all kinds of, of organizations, NGOs, that go and bring food and medicine and all kinds of things to all parts of the world, but part of it is like we will not evangelize at all. And for us, we look and we say, like, we'll evangelize. We don't want to go unless we're evangelizing. But it's taboo. It's looked down upon. Don't, don't ever try to force your views upon others. And so our tendency is to be like, ah, I'm not going to do that. Where Jesus might be saying, look up. Just look up. The fields are white under harvest. Go minister to them. Just minister to them. Proclaim the gospel. You see here in this particular area of Samaria that Christ brings them there and says, just look, it's white for harvest. Let me just read this to you. In Acts chapter 8, it tells us, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So Saul, who became Paul the apostle, is going after everybody and and. People are scattering all over, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, same region, and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Acts chapter 8. Multitudes come to know Christ. An area in which they didn't think anybody should ever go to, multitudes came to know Christ. So we read God's word here. They were told, they're already white for harvest. I was reading through a sermon by Charles Spurgeon that was done about 148 years ago. And he's speaking specifically on the subject of being having fields that are white for harvest. And he said, here's what we need. First, the text tells us we need laborers, many of them. The fields are white for harvest. We need laborers. Go. Go. Proclaim the gospel. Laborers, people who just have a passion for Christ and for the lost, and you just want to minister the gospel to them, go. Go. Go to even the uttermost parts of the world. Go. We need sharp sickles, he says. A laborer is no good unless he has got a a sickle. And if he can keep the sickle sharp, so much the better. You must get a hold, dear friends, of God's truth. You'll do nothing without that truth. And you must have that truth well understood. You must grind your sickles. You must go to, to work with such cutting truths of justification by faith as the total 
ruin of mankind as the hope that is laid up in the cross as of the energy of the Holy Ghost. And when you know these truths and know how to use them, you shall then be, be made great reapers in the master's harvest. It's, it is idle to say, I will go and then go with no tool in your hand. Get the truth. Get a hold of it well. Get sharp and in good order. And who knows, under the blessing of God the Holy Spirit, what you may do. Make the message clear. Here's the message. Christ is the creator of all that exists. And from the very beginning of time, it was planned that he would be our redeemer. Man fell into sin. And when man sinned, we died spiritually. In desperate, in desperate need of a savior. We can't do anything to earn his favor. It's just him. Our only hope is in him. He died on the cross. He fulfilled all righteousness, died on the cross, so that whosoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. It's faith. Whoever believes in him, not works of righteousness, not the things that we've done, not whether our good has outweighed our bad, but whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you read it and it's just so clear. Our hope is in him. We confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We enter into the family of God and become his people and we're washed of all of our sins and he gives us all of his righteousness and it comes by faith in him and by faith in him alone. And there's no other way to get to heaven besides faith in Christ and his work and his accomplishment on the cross. He takes all of his righteousness and puts it on our account. He takes all of our sin and takes it upon himself and pays the price for it. So that there's therefore no condemnation for those who are found in Christ. It's the gospel. Take it. Take it. It's sharp. It's clear. Tell people there are sinners in need of grace. They're in need of forgiveness. Point them to Christ, the Redeemer, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And take it and proclaim it. Make it so that the message is clear. Take sharp sickles with you. He says we also need clothes binders. Those that when the wheat is cut down... When it's harvested, they tie it up with sheaves. You may be in a place, okay, I, as I can proclaim the gospel, I really want to, but I don't know like, if I'm the most gifted at that. I, I, I desire for people to come to know Christ, but maybe you're those that, gosh, when, when, when they're harvested, you, you bring them in and you just minister to them. You tie them up together. You bring them in into our church and our and you're there and you're just discipling them and spending time with them and encouraging them. Being a blessing to them and just welcoming them into the body of Christ. And you just use your gifts as you're here to be here just to be a blessing to those that are harvested. The church, the church, the local church. We're not just a group of people that meet together on Sundays. We're the body of Christ. We've been gifted in all different kinds of ways and May there be people who just look and say, as people come in, I just want to, I just want to minister to them and love them and, and, and just let them know that they are welcome and care for their needs and bring them meals when they need meals and, and, and be there just to serve and to show them the love of Christ as they're brought in. I pray that there's others that would be those that bring refreshments to the reapers that are there just to be encouragers. We had um, Cindy Aiden speak here last Wednesday. 
when asked, What's, what was the greatest thing that we could do to help missionaries? And she was just like, communicate with them. Write them. Encourage them. Encourage those that are in the ministry. Be in a place of, just want to bring refreshment to the reapers. I want to just bless them as they do these things. Help them financially. Help them in, with, with a car, with a place to stay. Be in a place where, where we're there just to be encouragers. We look and all of us have a place to serve as the body of Christ. May we have such a view of God that we look and we see that it's all of him. He prepares hearts. People sow seeds and he's there and he waters them. And, and, and he's telling us, just stop. Look up. The fields are already white under harvest. They're ripe. I pray, like we've seen before in history, that God would do just a mighty thing in bringing in people to salvation. Brothers and sisters, we, we have seen that in our own country, in times of the Great Awakening, where the gospel was proclaimed and people came to know Christ. And there was such that the body was ministering to one another and it was healthy and they were going out and proclaiming the gospel and reaping in just incredible ways and all the glory to God. But may we look and just attempt great things for God and expect great things from him. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we, um, we love how you worked here in John chapter 4. Thank you for just stopping the disciples and telling them to look up because the fields were white under harvest. They were ripe. They were ready. And they didn't know that. I pray, Lord, that we would listen to your word and know that we can't make evangelism or missions just mechanical. We need to recognize that it's your Holy Spirit that works in just incredible ways. That it's you that brings in that harvest and we get to just be a part of it. But just give us incredible boldness to proclaim the gospel that our lives, that our marriages, that our friendships would just reflect Christ in every part of it. That we would take the testimony that you've given us and the response would be just to go out and say, come, come and see him. Come and see my Messiah. Come and see the one that, that's changed everything for me. And I pray, Lord, that people would come and that people would get saved and your name would be exalted and that we as believers here in this church would just have such a passion for evangelism and for missions and being in a place of just having such a view of you that we just trust you to accomplish your purposes, knowing that our work is never in vain. Your word never returns void. You speak to your sheep and they hear you and they follow you. May we be used, Lord, in just incredible ways for the furtherance of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.